What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Mongols, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. I'm Mike. With me is Kev, Josh, and John Morrissey, better known as USL Tactics on Twitter, is joining us. Guys, how's it going? John, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, I was thinking, I think being on Mongols was the first time I ever did a podcast, maybe. So nice to be back after a longish stretch. Yeah, I, I feel like you've traveled like all the way around the world and now you're like back. You've done so much stuff <laughs> since you left and, and yeah, done also. We're, we're going to get to all the stuff that you've done, um, but it's, you know, all great, great stuff. We were talking off air. You said, you know, you, you, you're, you're now experiencing life as an adult up to this point. You, uh, not that you weren't an adult before, but you were at NYU. Um, so you now have like a leak you got to deal with. Yeah, hey, I just had my so working from home remotely and had a uh, leak in my bathroom where it's like ruining my drywall. Somebody upstairs must have a toilet issue or something, but Oof. the struggles of adulthood for sure. <laughs> Kev, you're in an apartment. Have you yeah. had like water issues and stuff that you've had to take care of? You know what? Actually, we've been here for about uh, in this specific apartment for at least three years, probably like three and a half years. We haven't had any crazy stuff go. Um, it could also be because we live on the third floor. Uh, once mm. we woke up, we're like third floor, top floor. Um, we woke up at like 2 a.m. from someone banging on our door. And, you know, I had to get up and go. And uh, it was like one of the maintenance guys. He was like, you know, someone below you is like getting water damage, like constantly, like we need to come in now and like, fix something in your place um and the and the hilarious thing is like they have like i guess in the contract like they could just come in the only reason why he couldn't is because i like we had like little chain latch and so he's like i tried coming in <laughs> i was like i'm oh, glad geez. you didn't <laughs> at 2 a.m but yeah it was uh yeah so we haven't had anything big uh which which i'm about, yeah. I'm just picturing you at 2 a.m. like hearing a noise like what's that and you like oh, yeah. head yeah. into the bathroom and there's like a maintenance guy like huddled over your toilet at 2 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> Meanwhile, crazy. I'm just thinking about I just got my roof replaced a couple months ago. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I was going to say like what's Josh now that you're a homeowner like what's the what's the worst thing you've had to do? Is it the roof? I mean, we, we didn't even have to do it. It was just like, a, you know, oh, this should be replaced within the next couple of years. It's like, well, yeah. Let's just do it now while we got the money. Let's just do it. So, yeah, it was nothing major. I feel like we everything we've had has been like just call someone and they come and fix it. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not out here trying to like learn how to do all the handyman stuff I can. But you know, if it's like a toilet issue or like had stuff with like leaky faucets that kind of stuff, we'll we'll fix those. But yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube is great for that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kevin's cat's going nuts in the background. So I'm like so. looking around. I'm not. It's not that I'm not listening to you guys. It's just my cat is like lurking like a shark right now around my ankles and like playing with stuff. So you know, I'm just trying to be very cautious. Yeah. Speaking you're of totally looking around that kind of stuff, uh, we have like a lot of room right now in our windows. If you're watching live, like I'm so used to us being small now and like the little narrow windows that Mike yeah. does. Like, wow, look at all this room I have. All right. I don't have to I like like, my head like this the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't get out of frame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to set up the scarves and I used to only set up so many scarves because I did, I was like, I, I got lazy. I have enough scarves to fill the frame. And then I was like, at a certain point, I was like, ah, whatever. I'm old and curmudgeon now. So I just don't deal with that. Um, 
guys, we got a lot to talk about here. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to pick John's brain on all sorts of things. Uh, but Josh, you always remind me and I always forget. Go ahead and crack open the victory beverage. All there right. you go. It's, I mean, what what are we having tonight? I don't even know. What am I having? It is Neon Bear Hug. I just neon like the can. It looks Bear neat. Hug. It is a cool can. <laughs> That's one that you save for sure. So Josh is is cracking open the uh, victory beverage because obviously the Hounds beat Tulsa one nothing after off another Albert Dequa goal. Um, guys, let's get right into the takeaways. Uh, Kev, I'll start with you. Give me a takeaway from this game. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll try to stay a little more, you know, 30,000 foot view rather than get into the micro kind of takeaways from the game um, immediately. But uh, I thought, I mean, so once, once the goal goes in, then the game changes a bit. But up until that point, I don't know. I mean, I, I I didn't follow the chatter on Twitter. I don't I don't really know how people react. You know, obviously, I wasn't there. I don't know what people's reaction was to the first fifty five minutes of the game. Um, my guess would have been that most people would have thought that we were just completely in control and dominating the game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I actually want to give Tulsa a little bit of credit here, and us not as much credit. I think for the first fifty five minutes, it was actually a lot more even than it might have looked. Um, I think we we kind of quote unquote controlled the game a lot more, but um, a lot of the chances, once again in air quotes, uh, for me at least that that we had were not not great. We had a few, and but but they also had a few that were pretty clear cut. So I think it was it was a more even match than maybe it, it appeared on the surface. And even though at times we looked like we had a lot of control. I thought we still, especially for the you know, first 55 minutes, had trouble kind of creating good chances out of out of the amount of control that we had in the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was for for what, what I was expecting this game to be, especially being at home and and, and the momentum that we have. I, you know, I thought we played well. I thought we were deserving winners in the end, um, but it wasn't smooth sailing for you know i'd say you know two-thirds of the game was very even and could have went either way john i saw you nodding there as kev was talking do you have uh like views on tulsa sort of holding their own at least for that first 55 yeah they're a team that went through the ringer uh, about midway through where we are in the usl season obviously had the regime change brought in donovan ricketts they're not a pushover anymore. And so taking that first half, that first 55 minutes in mind, knowing that this is a Tulsa team that's retooled a bit and playing well and being able to just tread water and then lift it up, that's not a bad outcome for Pittsburgh here. Everything can't be dominant, but the way Pittsburgh is getting these results game in and game out to do so against a resurgent Tulsa team just feels good. and once you got to the point where things started clicking, I mean, the Riverhounds looked really great and they were flowing so nicely offensively. It was so fluid. It's what you want to see for a team that, I mean, no team in the league can be perfect all the time. So that's fair. Josh, you were there and it was a friggin' packed house, man. What was the, what was the atmosphere like? It, it looked gorgeous on the TV. I have to admit yeah, it, it was it, like, it was great. 
it was reported as a sellout crowd and it felt like a sellout crowd like you know sometimes you, you wonder when when people say sellout you're like i don't know but the, this felt like a sellout crowd um yeah the atmosphere was great it was a lot of fun and it's the second time we've had a sellout crowd just like at a random game this year uh which in the past we've had issues with building up the stadium and and if, as long as it's like not a crap out like a crappy day out like we're we're filling that stadium really well so that's a you know pleasant surprise and just signs of the the league itself and the team growing um but yeah the atmosphere was great and i i would say even you know with a great atmosphere and all that kind of stuff the, the game still felt like it wasn't as dominating as we've seen the hounds in the past um and it was just like uh like i never felt like we were I felt like we were the better team the whole time, uh, but I, well, except for that last bit where I felt like we were just getting peppered and just holding our, you know, battening down the hatches. But it, other than that, like, it felt like we were dominating the team, but it did not feel like we were having a great game, <laughs> if that makes sense. It was, even though we were probably the better team the whole time, uh, for the most part, it was definitely not a situation where I felt like we had this game in the bag. Like, uh, the previous game, I remember thinking the whole time, like, we're going to score. It's okay. We're going to score. Hopefully we have more than one goal in us, but we're going to score. This one, I didn't feel that way. Like, <laughs> up to that goal, I'm like, oh, thank God we scored. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Back to the uh, back to the stadium for just a second. I know on Houndsy, uh recently they discussed with the new president coming in for the Hounds that are, it feels like we're getting to the point where we need to have a serious conversation about the size of Highmark. I know, Kev, for years we talked about when do we expand, when do we expand, and you were like, when you're like 75% capacity for most of the games, then that's when you want to go. And as Josh pointed out, this feels like two random games in July were selling out. Now, you know, this was Mertz's homecoming, and, you know, we know that probably 50 to 100 of those tickets were his family, but that's cool. I mean, they're, they're tickets being sold. So realistically, you know, do we think that we should be considering expansion of Highmark as we head into the offseason? I, I mean, I think once, yeah, once the season is over and the offseason's here and dust settles and everyone can kind of look at things with a calm head, um, I think you can start making that argument. I mean, I'll be like, I would be, well, I don't know, maybe not. I was going to say, I mean, like, I don't, we don't know the finances, um, but the fact that they're building the new training complex, I mean, you got to imagine that's taking out some of the, some of the money that could go towards stadium expansion. Now, hopefully they already kind of, you know, earmarked money for stadium expansion because you don't, I don't, yeah. Like, like you said, Mike, you don't wake up one day and think, Oh, we should expand the stadium. Like now, you know, it's, it's something that is, is, you know, yeah, on the mind a lot. And so, I mean, it's it's good signs. It, it's it's good. It's trending in the right direction as far as attendance goes and, and reasons to expand. And yeah, you don't ever really kind of make that off of one or two nights. Um, so the more it goes, you know, the better. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Josh is president of the Steel Army. What's what's your stance on this? I mean, I've heard rumblings that they're thinking about it, but nothing major. Like, there, I don't think it's like in the cards. Definitely going to happen, but like, there's been talks of like, what would it look like? How would it, you know, go? And like, there's there's still a couple easy ways to expand the stadium that don't require like completely refiguring out how to do the layout. Because like, if if you look at our section behind the goal, you can see like 
two thirds of it as the giant or not giant, but the big stand, just like the uh, opposite side in the grandstand. And then that one section is still pretty small. So they could expand that up and make that the same size as our uh, other part of the section. And there's still the possibility of wrapping it around and connecting it to the grandstand. And I feel like those two things would be significant. Like it would add a lot of seats, but it wouldn't be like completely, you know, hey, we have to take out the whole bar side of the stadium and like build stands there, and which they could though, because yeah. now that we have Montour uh, training facility, that's where a lot of the front office is now going to be based out of. They're not going to be based out of the stadium anymore, which means you have a lot of space there that is right currently just being used for office space. Um, I know they want to use that for like uh, more uh, stuff with like being able to do events, but also doing like uh, suites and that kind of stuff. But you could totally redo that whole building on the other side and make that stands as well. So that we have stands on both ends of the goal. I would say that's, that's an interesting idea. You could almost rip out the entire like building where they do, you know, um, all of the, the sales and all of the, the, I want to say concessions. It's not concessions. It's all like the uniforms the and kits yeah. in the pub and like take that out put in some stands and put a bigger locker room and put like, you know, a bigger store and all that stuff on that side, push into the parking lot. Now the Tuffy owns that as well. Um, yeah, you could do a lot there. John, you're in New York city. Have you ever been to, to Pittsburgh and Highmark? Have you I've seen not, it in person? It would be really high on the bucket list. Um, it's one of my favorite stadiums to see games at like on ESPN plus just because of the train and the river and all of that. I mean, it seems like a really fun and unique atmosphere for sure. Yeah, we need to we need to get you. I, I was going to say it's an easy yeah. trip. It's not like a day trip. You'd have to at least spend a <laughs> night. But if you ever come in, like, we'll hook you up. Don't worry. Um, I took a crazy tangent there. Back to the game. John, you did uh, you did one of your famous like Twitter threads where you sort of broke down a couple of different sequences. Um, pick one of those things and, and sort of lay out for for those who may not have seen it, something that sort of impressed you from this game. Yeah, so, I mean, across the season, we've seen some varied deployment from where you put Canardo Forbes, right? You've got a bit of him as more of like a forward kind of inside winger type. He got that true center mid box-to-box deployment here, mainly focused on that right where you get Shane Wheat coming a bit higher than what you get from the left-sided center back. It was just this very intentional way of setting up the team that recognized Wheat gets higher, Forbes gets higher, but then Griffin is lower on the other side. All of that to say you could really overwhelm what Tulsa had at their left back spot where Noah Powder is going to get up the pitch because he's an aggressive attacking player. So you leverage that with an aggressive attacking setup to match it, and suddenly you're really getting chances. And when uh, Pittsburgh kind of put Tulsa to the fire a little bit from the 55th minute onward. That's really the dynamic that was playing out. Wheat was good. Ab Dixon, as always, was really effective. And that, for me, was one of the big turning points in this. Wheat, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Wheat on and off the air over the past two seasons, but is he turning into a bit of a secret weapon? I mean, he Striker. has, what, what, two goals? <laughs> two. I was going to say, two goals in the past four games. He almost had another one here. Like, he's just he looks like a center back. He doesn't look like, like a wide player and he'll just creep up and get one or two shots per game. And you're just like, like, where did this come from? 
I thought so, about I thought Mike. I thought about opening the podcast with a comment, being like, "You know what? It was a really disappointing evening for Shane. Uh, you know, he didn't score. <laughs> no, <it's> just... <laughs> no he, yeah, he looks great. Yeah. Um, someone else that you mentioned there, John, that I think you you said is a rock uh, in your in your tweet is Danny Griffin, and he was one last week that when we saw Robbie Mertz come back, I, I lamented that. I just hope that Danny Griffin doesn't go missing because now Mertz is there, that he just ends up settling into a single sort of holding role. And that was not the case here. I've watched the clip of the goal like five or six times. I still can't figure out how he got past the guy on the byline. I can't figure out what he did to get past him and make that play. But I mean, Danny Griffin, I mean, John, you, you watch a lot of players. My, my fear is not my fear, but we had the same situation a few years ago with Mertz where it was like, is Mertz too good for the US? Like considering his age, considering his skill set, is he too good for the USL? And that's why when he left to go to Atlanta, we were like, Godspeed, man. Like, cause there was hopes that he would get in front of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this might be the last year that we see Danny Griffin in the USL? If there was a functioning pipeline between the USL and MLS, mm. then absolutely. Because he's, too good for the USL. He's really a step above mentally from 99% of the people in this league. And if you're an American who doesn't have those flashes of speed, who isn't going to set the world on fire for whatever reason, MLS isn't going to pay a transfer fee for you. So I think, and I think you saw even with Mertz getting the chance with Atlanta United too, never getting the look in for the senior Atlanta United team. So that to me presages the fact that Griffin is probably safe, but I think that's a shame at the same time because he could be doing so much more. Yeah, I agree. Um, guys, any other sort of takeaways from this one? I know there was a lot that went on, but we also have uh, we have a couple of other segments here that we want to make sure we get to too. So, high points. Anything else? I mean, we got to talk about Williams uh Mikel Williams uh that's another one I can't figure out how he made that save like, yeah that's I, I watched it a few times and I was like what amazing happened there? I yeah. just <laughs> there's a reason why the the Steel Army victory selfie was done with Williams it's just like dude kept us in that game and that was just amazing save it was just really impressive yeah agreed I mean Kev, quickly going back to Griffin did you I have mean, something I, else yeah I mean so I think historically I've been the most critical of Griffin, probably, on the show. Of everyone? Um, Did you say everyone? I thought I yeah. heard everyone. Of all players? everyone? Yes. <laughs> Keepers? Uh, <laughs> but I have, no, I thought Griffin was like, I know we usually don't do this on the podcast, and like you you haven't asked it in a while, but at the end of the game, I felt like Griffin was man of the match for me. Um, he, I mean, how he created the chance for Dequa's goal um, he created a couple other chances as well. I mean, he had a few from memory. He had a few interceptions that were pretty key. Um, and in, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to turn praise into slight criticism for another player Shocker. In, in, in a midfield, in a midfield where I think Forbes can look leggy, uh, Griffin has a lot to cover. Um, and he constantly does it and he plays every minute of it. And so, no, I, I mean, I thought Griffin was, was incredible this game and, um, yeah, Mike, I mean, putting contextualizing it with Mertz coming back in, um, if anything, it seems like it's spurred Griffin on, uh, to potentially higher heights. So yeah, he, Griffin was amazing this game. 
All right, I'm going to I'm going to stop there because it feels like we're going to bleed into our next segment. So I'm just going to jump right into our next segment. So uh, one of the things that we've started doing is we've tried to get more and more voices on the show. Um, having people directly on like John is one way to do it, which is fantastic. Um, but Liz has now been making the rounds at the home games and she's introduced this new segment that she's calling the Mon Minute, where I guess at halftime she's finding people and just asking them to like ask us questions like we know stuff, which is cool i guess um we appreciate the feedback regardless so we got a whole bunch of questions and i picked these ones out specifically because john i knew you were here and i wanted your thoughts on them as well so we are going to start with the first one from Liv. Liv, you all know me hopefully question overall opinion about Mertz being back in his hometown back with the house i would like to add to this what do we think about the um, 25 to 50 tickets that his family adds to every game day? Answer us that on this Mon Minute. <laughs> so thanks, Liz, for the additional commentary, which you will hear throughout this. But thoughts on Mertz. John, I know you had a lot of thoughts when the, when the transfer was first made. What are your thoughts on Mertz coming back to Pittsburgh? I mean, anyone who's a Rio Hounds fan knows he's completely unbelievable at times one of the safest pairs of feet in terms of carrying the ball through the central midfield, smart attacker, really technical in terms of his passing and delivery. He gets back defensively. And I know Pittsburgh kind of has a lot of players who have a really strong skill set in that sense. So you could argue, I suppose, that maybe you could have more effectively spent that money. But for me, that's a nonsense argument because he is just so talented. And you saw it against Tulsa, how there's a really effective way to get him in the mix, integrate him with the talent that exists and push this team forward. So I think he's just huge, honestly. Agreed. I mean, Kev, Josh, you guys, this was our first game. We sort of assumed that, especially with the Hounds coming back home, that Mertz would get the start. He's back in the lineup. It took him like no time to just sort of work his way back in. It seems like, and maybe my memory isn't serving me well, he's getting forward a lot more than he did when he was here for the first go around. Like it felt like last time he was playing almost more of the Griffin role. And now that Griffin's here, well, Griffin was here the last year that Mertz was here, but it was his first year out of college. And so now that Griffin has sort of risen, it feels like Mertz has given the freedom to push a little bit further forward are you guys surprised at all by what you've seen from Mertz given what we saw two years ago back when he was in Pittsburgh Josh I'll start with you I don't think I'm surprised I mean watching him at Atlanta and seeing him become the leader there um, and I was actually more interested in seeing what kind of role he would be not only on the field but just kind of like off the field because he's still pretty young 25 years old he you know I wouldn't call him a veteran of the league, but at the same time, I mean, for USL kind of is a veteran of the league now. And like having that young of a player come to the hounds, come back to the hounds. And like, I just, I don't know. I like, I, is his MLS chances gone now? Like, is it, is this like, are we going to keep him for the long haul? Like, is this, you know, the career player that the hounds are going to have? Like, I'm just so like curious to see where his career goes from here and like what he becomes here. I, I still feel like we really know for sure like his quality for the Hounds right now because it's still early. Like we've had a game and a half with him, 
And so it's really hard to tell like where he's going to fit, how they're going to utilize him. Um, but I mean, Bob knows him and knows what he can do. So I got to imagine he's going to become a pretty huge fixture as far as like what he can offer this team. So yeah, the sky's the limit for him. And I'm, I'm super excited to see where he goes uh, with the team. Kev, are you surprised in how he was deployed this week compared to what he was in previous years here? I mean, a, a little bit. I, I think I, I agree. I think it's it seems like his starting position, like in his first go around here, it seems like his starting position was deeper. I think he, he still had the license back then to pick his moments and, and you know, make runs in the box or whatever. Um, and now in his second go around, it does feel like his starting position is a little higher. He still has responsibilities to still like be defensively and you know strong in the midfield, but it, it, it just it feels like he yeah he's he's more mature. Like it, he's he knows he knows when he can push it as far as like staying high up the field. He knows when you know to make to, to run at the defense. He knows when to drop it off, and it just seems like yeah his reading of the game is a lot better. Um, I will say, I mean, I think, you know, it felt, I guess I'm this, it's not really a digression because it's still a comment about Mertz, but, um, throughout the game, it felt like defensively, there were times where we dropped into a shape that was a little different from memory. Uh, it felt like defensively, almost like wheat would be right back. Dos Santos would be left back. We'd have a back four. And then it'd be a flat five of Dixon, Forbes, Griffin, Mertz, and Dos Santos. Oh, no, sorry. And Cicerone um, with Dequa, like the lone striker. And so the it, I, I saw that in multiple moments across the game. And so to me, that was, you know, defensively, okay, you were you a, a three-man midfield with Forbes, Griffin, and, and, and Mertz. And then in transition, you need to kind of sort yourself out because obviously Kenny's on is going to want to get forward as well. And so it's that kind of balancing act of knowing each other and knowing, you know, just re reading your your fellow players around you and, and knowing when to take up that space and when and when to not. And I think, yeah, Mertz just, just matured in such a way where it feels like he's constantly picking up the, the kind of correct positions on and off the ball. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, he, he looks better. Um, and... I guess that's what being the captain of a, of a team does for you um, and coming back with a, with a kind of different pair of eyes on the game. Yeah. So thanks, Liv, for the question. Let's go to the next one. Hey, Mon Minute. Mark, what is your question from Mon Goals? Hey, guys. What do you think the over-under is on goals and assists for Robbie Merce for the rest of the year? Yeah, answer us that. Riddle me this, Mon Goals. <laughs> I feel like Liz gets more and more ridiculous through these, which is, like, fantastic. Yeah. There's a lot of sangrias before the game. I'm just going to leave that out there. <laughs> so, Mark, thank you for the question. So, guys, just to put a little context, uh, he asked over, under on goals and assists for Robbie for the rest of the year. Over the past three years, Mertz has averaged four goals and 4.3 assists per season. So far, he has three goals and seven assists. So he's due for at least one more goal. Um, to hit his average, and he's already like three over his assist average. So you figure we have 12 games left to the regular season. Let's just go for those 12 games, okay? Mertz has been here for a game and a half, and he already has an assist. So let's just say for the next 12 games, I guess if we're going to do an over-under, 
Um, I'll say goals is at two and a half. We'll start at goals. Do you think that Mertz gets over two and a half goals or under two and a half goals for the next 12 games? John, I'll start with you. Goals feels like an under. I I think he's got more chances to be finding teammates than he maybe did in Atlanta. So that's probably informing me with that one. John's taking the under. Josh, you're, you're nodding along. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think his role in this team is going to be the goal scorer. I think the assist is where it's going to play out. Even to the point where I was just thinking about it and like, does Mertz become Forbes? Uh, you know, we, we've talked about Forbes kind of getting not as many looks this season or just kind of feeling different than he has in previous seasons. And like, is is this the the transition we see of Mertz, you know, taking up that position? But anyway, that's another conversation. But yeah, I'll, I'll take the under. Taking the under. Kev? Quickly on the Forbes thing, too. I think for, no. I agree with you. No, <laughs> no. I, know. I, I, I Josh, I agree with you on the Forbes comment, but I, I still, and I still, to, to defend him a little bit here, not that you were attacking him at all. Um, I still think Forbes can do things on the field that no other player on the field can do in moments, which is like invaluable. Concur. Um, yeah. I no, I actually think he gets three goals in the next 12 games. I, I, I usually I am very conservative with all this stuff. I, I think Mertz gets three goals in the next 12 games. Yeah. I feel like three is pushing it. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on two. That's why I sort of made it two and a half. So I think we have three taking the under, one taking the over. In terms of assists, he's already blown past the number of assists that he averages for a season. He's on seven. So for the next 12 games, we're saying that if we think he's going to be the assist guy, he has Dixon and Ciceroni and Dequa, potentially Kelly in front of him. Over the next 12 games, if we say six and a half assists, are we <laughs> you're making this way too easy to go under i'm yeah. sorry but <laughs> yeah, I'm, going, I'm going under there four yeah. feels about right for me yeah okay four. so if i say if i say four and a half and i make you really like four <laughs> or five you still taking the under i wouldn't be surprised about five that's not I'm answering the question the under and i hate it all right so john's <laughs> taking the under he's saying under four and a half josh probably also the under but i yeah, i'm not I, Five seems more practical, like it could actually happen. That's all I'm saying. Well, see, that's tough. Yeah, because before (laughs) you even put the goal assist thing, in my head, I was like, okay, in the next 12 games, I think he contributes to six goals. So however you want to split that up as far as assists or goals or whatever, I think he probably contributes to a goal every other game. And I just said he'd score three in the next 12. (laughs) So no. (laughs) But I also feel like he'll get... I could see him getting five assists. I think all of this is predicated on the fact that I think, um, I I don't know. I I think <laughs> I think in the last twelve games, the Hounds will rediscover the early season form and score more than a goal a game when we when we score right i i think there will be games where we struggle and maybe we don't score and maybe score but i think when in games that we're on i think we'll be on and i think we'll probably score more goals in these last 12 games than we have in the previous 12 games or something so was that over or under i as i'll say over i don't feel great about it uh but I'll, i'm I'll, taking I'll say i'm over. taking the over too i can see him getting like two goals and five assists over the next 12 games i think with the with the attacking firepower that he has in front of him 
And the way that those guys all sort of link up together, I think the longer he's in the team, the more you're going to see them gel and flow. And I mean, we saw a little bit of it this week. So I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Two goals, five assists. That's yeah, Kevin, the merch stand here. Wow. I mean, no, Mr. Optimistic over, over here. Josh, I'm surprising myself. I mean, like <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't come into this podcast thinking I'd be like this, but no, I, I think you had a lot, lot of ways, growth here. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a small sample size, but in the last two games, I've been really impressed with him. I, he, he, he just, I, I, positionally i think he picks up similar positions that forbes wants to but they're very different players and that forbes in my view is a lot more technical and finesse and reading the game um in a, in a brilliant way um mertz is a little more direct and will yeah we'll kind of run at players and and try to make stuff happen that way and i think when you have the the support the attacking support around you that kind of pick up those balls when you're kind of running at players or you know i think good things happen so i yeah i i'm pretty high on mertz coming back in he's he's been really i didn't know what to expect when, when he first came back in but in in the past two games about he's he's been great for us uh this is jared um and my question is so it seems like in a lot of these games recently the hounds are really dominating in the expected goal statistics to a pretty great degree, but not necessarily, we're not always seeing that result on the field. And I'm just wondering if you think that is a result of bad luck or if it's something specific on the field that we're unable to do. All right, so thanks, Jared, for that question. Josh, you were like shaking your head the second we came out of that. So real quick, I just want to set the table, but then I do, uh, John, I want to I want to pick your brain on this one specifically because I know that you're also a stats guy. I, I feel like to a certain extent we may have fueled this fire because we've been talking about XG a lot more uh, during the, the most recent episodes, but I went back and actually looked at the averages uh, over the course of all of July. And I basically took the averages of all the XGs in July and how many goals we actually scored across all of July. And a bit shockingly, our average XG across the board for July is 2.19. So we were expected to score 2.19 goals in each game in July. And our average scored per game is two. So like we weren't far off from our XG. We had a few outliers like, um, you know, against Hartford, we were expected to basically score four and we only got two. But then we were also had an XG of 2.59 in Miami and we scored four. So like we're kind of all over the map. So let's just start with XG. And I think partially from a stats standpoint, and I think partially from a like I test what you're actually seeing. John, do you have the feeling that the Hounds should be scoring more than they are? And if so, why do you think that that is? That was a bit of a leading question, by the way. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like they're in line with what they should be getting based on what I'm seeing. Um, I do XG calculations for my own edification. Um, and Pittsburgh is slightly underperforming there, but not significantly. It feels to me more like you maybe just expect a team that has all of these names, this track record of being so dominant to just do a little bit more offensively because numerically they're certainly not the elite of the elite when it comes to the attack. For me, I don't think there's an issue though, is my 
broader feeling about it, I guess. Like XG does tend to have a little bit of things can just break one way or another with a bit of randomness, especially in a 20-ish game sample. I just, I wouldn't be concerned, I think is the big takeaway. I want to keep diving on this, but I have to stop. You said you calculate your own XG. Like, are you watching games and like putting together? So your I have a, because I, um, I try to do it at the individual player level and then build it up for teams from there. I have a regression model based around shots and stuff. Okay. Do you sleep? Like, just like you, no. the amount of stuff that <laughs> you do is insane, man. <laughs> It's a lot of coffee. <laughs> Dude, blows me away. The amount of like work. We're, we're going to get into that in a minute. But yeah, okay. I was going to say, right. to digress a little more, I'm really curious. Like, where do you get where do you get data for that? As far as like... Yeah, yeah no, good question. Um, football reference, if you're familiar with that, is one of the better things. And then a decent amount I manually copy and paste from the USL website, which is gotcha. painstaking Oof. and awful. Oof. Yeah. Oh. There's a spreadsheet right. I should introduce you to. Uh, one of our board members, uh, Shu, uh, does a spreadsheet that kind of covers all of our uh, players and like goals and all that kind of stuff for each one. So uh, it's a Google spreadsheet. It might help you out. There you go. <laughs> I'll send you a link. Sharing the love. Josh, um, what are your thoughts on this whole thing of like, should we be scoring more? Shouldn't we be scoring more? What's your sentiment on it? I'm trying to see if we can change the name from XG to like uh, SLR or something like that, like uh, Sunshine Lollipops and Rainbows or whatever. Like it's it's not it's I don't know. I'm still nestled in this whole XG thing. Like I feel like it's just hopes and dreams and that's it. And it's it's really hard to be like, oh, well, they should have had this many goals. I feel like it's not as empirical as uh, people would make it sound. Uh, although John, it, yours might be more empirical, but I, I just always feel like mm -hmm. it's like uh, I don't know. Like this feels kind of like snake oil. With what you're seeing at the USL level in terms of the tracking and the calculation, like think about the Premier League where everything is logged down to an inch. You know how many defenders there are, what foot the striker is taking the shot with compared to what his preferred one is. It's a little bit more simple at the USL level, so it's naturally going to be. A little bit less accurate but i do think it is a valuable number to be looking at yeah yeah i, I mean i feel like a perfect example of this would be just look at the lines you see uh as far as the betting lines like for usl like they're so all over the place they don't know anything like i, I feel like if you are into gambling like doing usl gambling is probably the best bet because it seems like you can always find every week you know some line that is way way off compared to what you kind of like just get a gut feeling for but like this this seems like they don't know what they're like you know putting the the odds out here between the over under and all this gambling talk i think john's gonna walk away from this thinking that we all have a problem um guys mark uh mark Prestpinick. I hope I pronounced that right, Mark. I know a longtime listener. He said, not even worrying about XG. Just look at the eye test. Hounds get tons of chances and can't finish. This year has been the worst in that regard. I can re I can recall in recent history, although partially due to more chances generated. So, John, back to you real quick, because you watch and, and study, I should say, far more games than we do. Do you get the sense that the Hounds' finishing percentage is like, on par with other teams that you've seen like i think we're very used to you watch the premier league and if guys get a shot like it's it's going on target or in the net and the usl just isn't at that level so are we just being unrealistic in our expectations 
Or do you think that there are some teams that percentage wise would are doing a better job at finishing than the Hounds do? We may have lost John. Oh, no. Oh, no, you are. Okay, good. Sorry. My back. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're good. So, yeah, Hounds are about mid-table when it comes to conversion. Uh, Dane Kelly and Dickwa are both in the top third or so for forwards. It's, I think, a bit of an issue where Pittsburgh just generates a lot of chances, so it can seem a little bit more difficult for them, but they're about in line with what you would expect at the USL level. Okay. So it's more of like a good problem to have. It's, it's the fact that we're generating so many opportunities and like, yeah, we're not capitalizing on all those opportunities, but we're generating more opportunities than the average club, which, you know, is pretty good issue to have. All right, let's get to our last Mon Minute. There was a question that no one will claim about how many XTs there are. <laughs> that is expected trains. Use it or don't. I don't know. No one will claim it. So there you go. <laughs> Liz, Liz, bring it home. XTs, Josh, you're there more often. Is 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 our XT at like one and a half? Per oh game? no, it, it's closer to about three. I mean, because there's also trains you don't see because there's the train track on the other side of oh right, the stadium. right, right. Yeah, 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 on Mount Across Washington. The road. Yeah. So yeah, you have Mount Washington train, then you have the both the tracks and that the camera does see because they go in both directions. So yeah, there's I, I would say at least two to three. Oh, see, okay. I was going to say, if, if we put our XT for the rest of the season at two and a half, <laughs> and then that's kind of like... We had three trains at one moment last... Like this, at the same uh, time? Game. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. man. It's amazing. <laughs> add, <laughs> add the, add the um, Gateway Clipper, the, you know... That's right. Yeah. To the, XTB. To the yeah. Expected train and boat. Yeah. And boat. And boat, yeah. So... Well, okay. Thank you to everyone. That's that's our Mon Minute segment for this week. Um, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We have a lot more that we're actually going to save for next week because the Hounds are away at Indy, which we will get to here in a minute or two. But uh, we do appreciate the feedback. If you see Liz running around, drink in hand or not, um, approach her. She has stickers. We just ordered a ton of new stickers that look really, really slick. Uh, you'll get a free sticker, um, for, for, well, and you'll get on the podcast. I mean, like that's, you know, that's the real glory is being on this little show, but, uh, you'll get a sticker for your, for your efforts as well. So John, before we talk about indie, before we talk about sort of, you know, the rest of, uh, well, actually let's, let's look at the, the table really quickly. We always end up doing this because I think this will frame some of the conversation that we have. So after the hounds beat Tulsa, they leapfrog Memphis. We are now in third place, sitting on 40 points. Memphis still have two games in hand on us. They're only a point back, so this isn't like we're sitting comfortable here. We are chasing Tampa and Louisville. Tampa's on 45 points. Louisville's on 46. Um, Tulsa drops below the playoff line. I mean, all things considered, it looks like the top three teams in the East are the hottest teams right now. Tampa winning at least the last five and us and Louisville both winning four and drawing one. Um, I don't know if there's anything too surprising here, but yeah, let's let's discuss it. John, what are you seeing around the Eastern Conference at this point that uh, that excites you? Um. I would point to just Memphis generally as an entity in 2022 is something that both excites and surprised me. I had them as a playoff team. I thought they were going to be solid. 
and they've played much closer to the level of a team that could be competing for a conference title at the end of the day. And I think having Pittsburgh there to break up the Louisville-Tampa duopoly was a given, but getting one more team into the race that is so competent in possession, really dangerous and fluid, organized in defense and presses really hard. I mean, it's a joy to have four teams, I feel like, that could really do it. And it just adds a little bit more weight when you're thinking about home playoff games down the stretch and trying to kind of jostle your way up the table at the end of the year. We may have lost John again. I will say that, you know, I think we didn't have very high hopes of Memphis. Um, we played them first game of the season and uh, John's back. We played Memphis first game of the season and we're like, ah, it's Memphis. It's a pushover. So to see them sort of launch themselves to the top of the table has been really interesting. So um, that's a good shout. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry about the internet. You're fine. Out, but. Is, I mean, in, so in your mind, like Memphis is legit. They're not just like a little blip that oh, they're not a Lester. They're like here. Birmingham is the Mendoza line where I don't even know what to do with them in terms of contention, but Memphis and above feels like they're in it for real. Awesome. Next question for you. Um, in this, I, I don't feel confident in this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I know fans out there are going to ask. Do you think the Hounds will catch Tampa or Louisville with, like I said, only 12 games left? Do you think we have what it takes to leap over them and end up in first or second? If you were starting over with the roster and the setup and confidence that Pittsburgh has right now and you reran the season, I would have said yes, but not with 12 games, not with the way that both of them are playing. Tampa especially is red hot. I don't think they've lost since May or early June. Louisville has done the thing without Cameron Lancaster and Wilson Harris, really a functioning striker at all for a couple of weeks. They are both just so well-drilled, so well-organized, and they have an identity. So I think it would be tough for Pittsburgh to catch up at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair. And total respect for, you know, coming on the show and not being like, yeah, of course they can, <laughs> and not, you know, play into the to the crowd. So good on you. Um, so the next question, I looked at, you know, you, you put out a ton of content, and I, I don't know if there's actually an answer to this or not, but what team that's currently in a playoff position is going to drop out and who do you think will jump up? And the answer could be no one. It could just be settled. I think Miami might be the most disappointing team in the conference this year. If you just Ooh. think about what they're doing with their immense talent, I have a tough time seeing Tulsa jump over them because of the existing gap, but Man, Miami can't score, even though they've got Kyle Murphy at striker and a whole spate of amazing midfielders. Tulsa did just add Marcus Epps, who I think is going to be a huge impact player. So that would be the swap if there is one, but I wouldn't bet on it necessarily. Okay. And last question, and then we'll get back to, to some other stuff, at least, you know, USL related. Um, what are your hopes for the USL over the next five years? We talk a lot about, like, the direction leagues headed in and and i know there have been a number of articles written over a backheeled i think you may have written one of them i can't remember about <laughs> sort of the you know the 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 position that usl is in with mls and sort of things that are coming and so 
you know, looking into your crystal ball over the next five years, I shouldn't say looking into your crystal ball because it means predictions. I asked your hopes. What are your hopes for the next five years, John? He froze again. He'll be back. I'm sure. <laughs> Just wait for it. Wait for yeah. it. There he is. Yeah, okay, cool. Again? Yeah, I'm not you're sure back. Yeah, especially would love to see Queensborough actually get off the ground so I can get Ooh, out yeah, to some yeah. of these games. I think just finding that level once you get rid of the MLS2 teams where you've got the solid, it seems like 30-ish clubs, build out League One. And I know this is controversial on some corners of the internet, but Pro Route would be super fun to see. I think it oh, just there's, adds there, There's no controversy here. We're, yeah, we, yeah. we're with you. Yeah. But just, yeah, and it's what Jake Edwards talked about a lot. Um, he did the interview with Joe over at Backfield, where establishing the USL as a league that can move players on to chances in Europe, become a platform for young talent in communities that haven't always been serviced by MLS academies and the pay-for-play kind of youth system that we've had in this country. If USL can become a platform for that, and start working towards the next level of excitement on the sporting side, I think it'll have been a job well done over that stretch. All right, so of all those things, pick one that you predict is actually gonna happen. Well, Queensboro, like that's that feels like that's a good like, I'm kinda of doubting Queensboro. Really? It's been it's weird with the David Villa stuff that I don't want to delve into. New York City FC getting the Queen Stadium casts a little bit of doubt on that whole thing for me. Um, I think the youth thing is going to be for real for USL. El Paso is like setting the tone with the fact that they're playing a random 16-year-old every other week. Mm -hmm. Josh Winder is going to get sold for a million dollars, and you can bank on that. There's so much young talent in this league. What do you guys think about Wyatt Borso, for instance? Yeah, that was one that especially at the beginning of the season, we were sort of banging the drum for. Um, And I think there was a lot of hope that he would see a lot more minutes before heading off to college in the fall. And we haven't seen him like we saw him in the preseason. We're like, this is great. And then like, like nothing. So, yeah, still cool sign. I mean, things to come. Like, I feel like speaking of like the youth and and how it's going, like, I I do feel like if we can get a system in place where all these teams have academies and they're actually making money off of, you know, selling players to Europe or wherever they go, like, and that becomes the way these teams make money instead of just by making money off of like the academy charges, that's going to be the hugest part. So like, that's what I want to see is, teams making money off of the academies, players getting signed other places instead of just off of the parents paying to have their kids in the academy. So if that happens, then I think, you know, everything changes. Yeah, agreed. There was just an article and I forget who did it. It might have been the Washington Post where they were saying like the next area that you're going to see explosion in, in development is in like youth sports complexes. So it seems like Tuffy was a bit ahead of the curve with the whole Montour complex that should be finishing and opening up here soon. I know they're already using the space a little bit. So, um, yeah, it'd be a shame to not see that help turn into more players going through the Pittsburgh pipeline. We're going to talk to the president here soon, and we know he had a lot of success 
out in OC um, doing that that very thing. Um, hopefully, we can turn into a women's team as well. That would be fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, cool. all good stuff. Um, John, there was one other question, and this is completely not soccer related, but I got to ask it anyway. So you graduated from NYU. Yeah. Yeah. Tay Tay was there getting a Taylor Swift was there getting an Uh honorary degree. (laughs) Where do you guys stand on celebrities getting honorary degrees from universities? John, since you were there and you saw Tay Tay on the big screen, what are your thoughts? It. So this was a terribly <laughs> organized event to begin with. It took me an hour or 40 minutes of standing in line to get into my own graduation. And then it kind of just was the Taylor Swift show. Yeah. It, I get that it's great PR for the school that you're having Taylor Swift there and everyone is seeing the NYU name. Maybe give it to someone with actual qualifications. Boom! <laughs> How dare you? Taylor has done wonderful things for our country. I, I, love, I love the music, but I don't know. <laughs> we just we just want to go on record and say that John is not affiliated with Mongol, so all of you Taylor Swift members, please do not come at us on social media. We had nothing to do with his response. No, I I I agree. I yeah, yeah it's a thing. I get it. But I'm also like, you know, when you pay how much for an education and like you go and get it to just be like, and Taylor Swift is here. Here's your degree. You're like, come on. <laughs> Kev, where do you stand on this topic? It doesn't have to be Taylor Swift. It could be like celebrities getting honorary degrees to come in air quotes perform at graduation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an opinion on it. I don't really, I don't get it. Like... I don't think you need to do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really have an opinion on it. Josh, over under two. No, we're not. Over <laughs> under. Josh, do you, have, do you have a hot take on this? Tell me you like, love it. It's like your favorite thing. No, ever. I was going to say, was it like a concert involved? Like, did she play a couple songs? Like, eh, then not know, it. She gave a She gave a mediocre commencement speech, and that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> was she Josh at least wearing a cardigan? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh is not in favor either. So, okay. Sorry for the, that felt like that. Well, it's just like, one. what, like, okay. Like, I guess <laughs> oh, that no. that's the thing, right? Like is the university gets PR, right? Like that has to be the only thing, right? There's no other reason to like, claim that like that's oh, why the university does team. anything kev that's well, why i know scholarships and, and that's, that's why they have sports teams it's all that's PR. why i don't really yeah i mean that's yeah well, i got like people who i hadn't talked to in five years reaching out and was like hey taylor swift huh so like <laughs> getting the press for this for sure yeah. yeah harry has the question that we're all wondering now is john in one of her songs john <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, give me a nice breakup track. <laughs> I'm gonna listen to folklore a little bit more heavily next time. All right, before we get out of here, we have to talk about the Hounds head to Indy this weekend. Um, Indy have not won since June fourth when they beat the Battery four to three. They've since played nine games and have resulted in two draws, seven losses. John, what is going on with Indy? Like. We went from Indy being almost like uh, almost a rival because we just hated them so much to like now we just don't even care. Like what happened? 
I'm thinking back to that uh, the Tyler Pasher game a couple of years ago with that yes. late one. But um, this season, especially, age has caught up with this team. Like we've talked about it a bit with Canardo Forbes, Neville Hackshaw, Aozi are really, really slow in defense, and Mark Lowry, I think, wasn't given the resources to really retool in a way that he would have wanted to. And the team was very, very hot finishing at a certain point this year. When that cooled down, things got tough. Indy has, I think, two goals since July started. They've made some really desperate trades to try to patch things up. It's a really incongruent squad right now. Tactically, they don't have any of the high possession, high press tendencies that Lowry always brought to the table to El Paso. I, I mean, they got the opening goal against Tampa, but you think that the three goals that came after that are indicative of the fact that it was a domination and you shouldn't let the slight positive mislead you. Solomon Asante hasn't come good at all. He's another one who's looking slow, but Indy still tries to run their whole offense through him. It's quite dysfunctional at the moment. Give us, uh, based on all of that, give us your score prediction for this weekend. Uh, Indy will be at home. Yes, in Indy. So Hounds travel to Indy. What do you think? I'll say two to one Pittsburgh, but it feels generous to the 11. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Kev? I mean, another one, one nil. I think, I think, yeah. I mean, the fact that it is away, even though we we have Memphis at home the the game after, right? Yep. Um, Yeah. What last week we were talking about the, the, the stretch of three games. And Josh, I think you were the one who brought up of just like, yeah, just be careful. Like it's indie away though, and like we're not great away. So yeah, I mean I I don't know, one nil, sure. Yeah, I mean, away. I remember last, I hate these questions. <laughs> last podcast I was very kind of like, I don't know, indie could be the game that we drop points, but like indie has not like shown up at all. Like my birthday was in June 11th, and like apparently my birthday wish came true. Uh, they haven't won since, so um, <laughs> I I don't know. Now that like, you said it out loud, Josh, it's done, and we're gonna lose this game. <laughs> yeah, if we lose, it's my fault. Okay, I'll I'll take the the hit. But yeah, I I kind of agree. I think this is probably gonna be two zero, two one at best for for Indy. I'm I'm gonna say two nil. I feel like we got to get to the point where I shouldn't say we we're, we got to, but it feels like at some point we're going to get past these one goal games, like not to bring it back to XG, but just the eye test with this feels like they're going to start clicking where we're going to start averaging more than a goal a game. You would hope, especially against teams like Indy, you know, John just talked about a lot of the speed issues. Um, you know, Shane Wheat's going to get like, probably three goals in this game. Cause he'll just like fly up the flank and just make it happen. But I, I mean, realistically, when you start seeing Dixon and, and, um, and Dequa, you know, sort of combining up near the top, you ro- you roll in Mertz and Griffin. Like I just, yeah. Kev, what are you going to say? For the life of me, I can't remember what we played Indy at home, what it looks like five games ago. And I can't remember that game. I can't. It, so we played Indy at home and we won one nil. Yeah. And I can't remember if we deserved more or not. But we always deserve to win. What are you talking about? We never, no, we never, well, we deserved like win. more, you know, I don't know if it oh. was a tight one nil or if it was like, you know, we had, 
you know, Shane Wheat had like four chances and he only put in, you know, one. Star score, Shane Wheat. I just don't remember. I mean, the only other thing is that, like, look, try pulling a little bit of my uh, kind of expected conservatism back into my perspectives on all this stuff. I mean, we have, you know, in the past six games, we've won five, drew one. Um, you know, are we that good? Maybe, but like that's that's you know, there, there's a draw or a loss coming here soon somewhere, <laughs> just statistically. And we have a history. I just I can't. I, I remember us losing the Loudon last year, and I like it was like Loudon's only win in the entire season, and we lost to them or something. Like we have this in our bag to play really poorly against really crap teams, especially away from home. So. Uh, you know, it's just given that is the context, but uh, yeah, I, I still, you know, expect us to win based off of everything, but you know, bringing us back down to earth a little bit. Thanks for helping end the show on a low note, Kev. Thanks. I Colin. know what you're always good for. You're the best. <laughs> That's what we think. Let us know what you think. John, as I mentioned earlier, you are like literally everywhere doing all of the things. Tell everybody sort of where they can find you and all of your works. Yeah, so uh, in Backyield every single week with, well, Backyield, of course, is a newish site covering all things American soccer. Um, I'm in the Weekend Recap, which you can subscribe to for the latest on MLS and WSL, and of course, USL from me. I've got a midweek column there as well. Um, I'm on the USL show every Tuesday evening. I do the USL Tactic Show video breakdown for that. Um, I do my own gigantic kind of league roundup power rankings every week. I post about like every single game. I basically just live and breathe USL at this point. So, <laughs> but again, do you sleep? Like I wasn't kidding when I asked that question. Yes, yeah, not enough for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, we appreciate all of the work that you do. Um, I know that fans absolutely love all the content. It's amazing. You're doing fantastic stuff. Keep it up. We appreciate you coming back to the show. You know, you'll probably circle the world again and be like commissioner of the USL next time we have you on at the rate you're going. So keep it up, man. Great, great stuff. Um, and as we mentioned, make sure go go over to Backyield, subscribe, check out the USL show wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow John at USL Tactics on Twitter. Constantly stuff over there. Breaks down or breaks down statistics and formations in ways that you know we attempt to but like can't ever do it as succinctly so really really great stuff um so again thanks for joining us um weekly reminder black lives matter we are proudly part of the beautiful game network which is home to more than 100 volunteer writers and podcasters covering local soccer help us all keep doing what we're doing head to bgn.fm and click the donate button to help us cover our expenses we appreciate the support otherwise i think that's it thanks everybody we will talk to you very very soon cheers Later.